to the Sports Ball Podcast for Sunday, October 29th, 2017. Year of our Lord, 2017. This is Ross, and we are joined by... Ayo. Who are we joined by? I don't know. Who are we joined by? Your, your lovely co-host, in the wings, your goose... Stephen Hopkins. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, it's going good. We So it's been, I think it's been two weeks since our last podcast, which I thought was one of our better ones. Two weeks since our last podcast, which means that Donald Trump has sent out one million tweets since then. So he has. have to take six hours to unpack all of the tweets and the mainstream media response. Right, exactly. When I say response, I really mean hyperventilation. Unhinged hyperventilation. By response, I mean overreaction, hyperventilation. Right. <laughs> right. You know what? I liken it to like there's a clip online of like a local like town meeting, and and one guy's walking one guy's walking back to his seat, and he taps some old lady on the shoulder with his like rolled up papers, and she falls down and starts like screaming and hissing on the floor. Like she was like, uh, you know, aggressively assaulted. And everyone in the room, the courtroom's like, what the, f- what is this lady doing? That is a microcosm for every liberal after a Donald Trump tweet. Like, you know. A friend of mine, Ken uh, McCacken, which you know. Yeah. He made a post on Facebook, uh, I want to say like this weekend. And, you know, he makes a lot of posts, and, uh, as you know, Ross, but. This one really stuck out to me because he made the comparison. I thought it was actually quite brilliant for a lot of people who aren't familiar with psychedelic drugs like LSD, which was made popular in the 60s and 70s by the hippies, right? Like yep. our parents, the baby boomers. Um, it, it, the, well, I guess what they call it, like Trump uh, deficiency syndrome. T-D-S. Trump derangement syndrome. Trump deranged, yes, TDS. It's very similar to a, a, a person taking a hallucinogenic. Really? Get, but, uh, yeah, flesh that know, out. Explain that for the for the listeners. Well, so, you know, as, as, as we've seen at a lot of these marches, the Pussy Hat March, you know, a lot of the Antifa, you know, rally against, uh, you know, the neo-Nazi movement and the alt-right, you see these people who come and they're just you know they're they're that's i guess what they call it the word deranged it's a great selective word they're they they're seemingly deranged they don't speak uh coherently uh they're screaming and it looks like they're on a bad acid trip for anybody that's ever uh experienced it themselves had a friend that you've watched or you've seen maybe at a concert or you know on some kind of documentary right and i thought it, it is it is very similar Right, it is actually because it's a, it's a, it's a, it, you're going to a state of consciousness that involves you being crazy. Like 
I can tell you, you know, I mean... You know, the big thing, I'm sorry, there's, it, it, what it is, it's a complete detachment from reality, right? That's one of the things uh, that LSD does or is known for. And that's what, what it seems like when you're talking to these people or seemingly interacting with them, right? It's true. I mean, in their world, since Hillary won the popular vote, she's president, and she's going to do things better than Trump could ever imagine. And her insight is valuable, as it was with Puerto Rico. And if it wasn't for Hillary... Trump would have oh, never oh, sent oh, anything. But Ross, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. What about it? You just didn't pronounce it correctly. No. Oh, Puerto Rico. <laughs> I can't roll my R's. I can't roll my R's. But like, you just have to That's all you got to do. I just, and I, I couldn't even do that. I couldn't even, I, but do you ever, you never notice people can roll their, th whenever they see the word three, they say three, three. I can't do that. I can't do that. I was never given that talent. He did a pretty good job right there. Oh, thank I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, so, but yeah, they're in an alternate universe. Hillary is their president. They just pretend it's not happening, that Trump Hillary, is president. No, no, you know what it is? I'm sorry. Hillary is Jesus, and Barack Obama is, is, their, is their god. Right, right. He's their idol. Right, exactly, exactly. So, like, this last year, so before we go into the deep dirt of tonight, like, there is a scheduled... Across the country, November 8th, everybody is going to go out and randomly scream at the sky because Trump is president. Like, these are your thought leaders, ladies and gentlemen. These are the people that were the smartest people in the room that know what's best for you, that Hillary is our champion. These same people, one year later, are going to be screaming in the street and in organized rallies. They're going to be screaming at the sky uh, in anger at the fact that Trump is president. And these are scheduled events in Boston and Philadelphia. I can vouch and attest for it. Um, so again, the, when you when I hear that Trump people are stupid, they're, they're not bright, they're deplorable, they're irredeemable, they're homophobes, they're below room temperature IQ, all this stuff, and then I see actual Hillary resistance supporters going out and screaming at the sky in anger, um, it makes me, you know, not regret voting for Trump because I see what the other side is doing, and this is. Do you think there? Do you think that it's, it's anger anymore? Do you think it's we have three more years of this at minimum? Oh, they they don't know how to deal with it. That's the thing. I know. I, I've said this a million times to you, Steve. If not on the phone, then in our podcast. When Obama won, I was angry and furious and suicidal, fake suicidal, for a week. And then I fucking got over it. And I was kind of like, okay, retool, we'll, we'll find another candidate for 2016. Um, here we are one year later, and they, are, they don't have a candidate in line. They don't have funding. The DNC is not raising money. They don't have a platform. They don't have ideas. They don't have momentum. They don't have people rallying for them. Other than the vagina hat wearing, uh, cobwebbed vagina feminist types and their cuck boyfriends or closest friends, like I, I just they have nothing. They have nothing. Those cobwebbed vaginas. Cobwebbed vaginas. That's my new my new phrase for the uh, unhealthy resistor. So so uh, you know before we dive into tonight's topics, is there anything else in your mind that you want to get out? Anything you want to give us an update on? Or do you want to dive right into it? 
yeah, well, I think uh, I think it's maybe worth talking about some of the stuff that we recapped, like. Uh, you know, what, what, what were we talking about before where, you know, they, we kind of laid out the timeline of one of the last episodes where Bannon leaves the White House. You know, I think a lot of the left and people even on the right were nervous that there was a falling out between, you know, maybe Trump and his, uh, you know, his lead strategist. But I think what we now see is that it was uh, Bannon taking a break because he saw that he could do much more uh, from outside. Correct. Um, you know, pulling his his, uh, you know, his strings in the media, and I don't think it was a coincidence as we maybe laid out the Weinstein thing. Well, that was uh, great. I mean, Steve, you said that, you said that on our podcast, and then two days later, Zero Hedge wrote an article on it saying, is this the doing of Steve Bannon, um, who's had linkages to Hollywood through his Seinfeld days, he was some type of assistant producer or something, during Seinfeld, still gets residuals and royalties. Bannon is plugged into D.C. He's plugged into the inner circle of the Oval Office, and he's plugged into Hollywood, and he hates every member of Hollywood in D.C. So it's the understatement of the year saying Steve Bannon is more effective on the outside than on the inside. And he also has his partner in crime, Dr. Sebastian Gorka, who is the deputy assistant advisor to, to Trump. So Trump lost both Gorka and Bannon, but those guys were two peas in a pod. And now that they're on the outside, they're breaking intel, they're breaking news stories, and they're kicking the ass of the establishment from the outside. And it's really enjoyable watching it because, Steve, you called it. There's a good chance that Bannon is involved with all of the Hollywood leaks that you see now with Weinstein and all that are about to come down the pike with pedophilia, uh, with more Weinstein-like accusations. That's right. I think that's how they win. Um, you know, and, and I think that a lot of people that don't know Bannon's background, as you just laid out, he's a Hollywood guy. Yep. He's not a Hollywood insider, quote-unquote, right? He's always been looked at as an outsider. Uh, but, you know, I think that that serves him and, you know, the public well, as a lot of this, we'll call it, dirty laundry uh, is aired out from... Uh, the West Coast, right? Uh, you know, so it, and also as you pointed out, so you know, he comes from that that scene, and and what's interesting is, you know, we kind of see, and if you look at it like a chessboard, you see, you know, this guy that's, you know, not in the in the know with Steve Bannon, but he's in Hollywood, he's making documentaries, that's why he was there, uh, documentary, and I think he's made like six plus movies, right? Yep. Um, and so that's what gave him access into these people. And, and as we've known and come to find out is that a lot of this stuff in Hollywood and, you know, I think as we talk about Ross and maybe we can get into this or other places, I think it leaks into other institutions, higher education, politics, right? Yep. Uh, this pedophilia, uh, you know, all of this, uh, you know, the sexual harassment and this really weird kind of stuff that goes on. So it's it's an untold secret, right? Or it's a it's a it's a silent secret that's there. And so I think what he's been doing, uh, probably like a few other people, is he's been documenting, you know, behind the scenes who's doing what, you right. know, kind of ready for that time. And people forget Donald Trump, and they well, you shouldn't forget is that he's a, he's a Hollywood guy now too. Of right? course he's he is, king reality star. So you put these two guys together, and you now give give them the power. Uh, it's very scary for a lot of people, right? Who exactly. Have, you know, created a lot of, uh, you know, I want to say, you know, syndicates, you know, illegal syndicates through government and business, 
Uh, and now you have this team, uh, you know, Trump, Gorka, uh, you know, coming in and shining a light on this stuff. And we have it as the American people from both sides, right? We get it for, from Trump in the White House, and we now get it from, you know, people like uh, Bannon from the outside. I think it's fantastic for America. And it's fantastic because there's a bunch of institutions that are falling. So we know D.C. is a disgusting swamp. We know Hollywood is an immoral vile cesspool of vipers um, and Bannon is exposing that so we saw it with Weinstein we saw it with James Tobak who has about yeah, three it's, 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 it's everywhere right it's also in tech right that, you know, and, it's, and it's not a coincidence that all of these worlds are and have been connected by the left yep. right because tech uh, all of the Zuckerberg uh, uh, Bezos right James uh, what is it uh, Dorsey uh, the guy that yes, not guys, right? They're all super quirky, kind of like lefty actors, right? They were right. all kind of going back to the profile psychology. They were all kind of nerdy in the clique. It all goes back to high school, right? Everything always goes back to the high school cliques from the right. yesteryear. So you have these nerdy, uh, you know, nerdy nerds who get swirlies and, you know, wedgies by the jocks who are teaming up in, in adult life, uh, you know, with the, the thespians who also were, you know, their own group and kind of marginalized in high school. Yep. And now they have power and they have money. And with that, you know, they do some really fucking weird shit. Right. Right. Really weird shit. And it's all connected, right? It, it, it really is all connected, it, you know, and, and they all run in the same circles, right? As you see Obama most recently giving his daughter, uh, you know, to Weinstein as an intern. Right. Uh, just this past summer. Right. right? I mean, how, how does that happen, right? Well, Weinstein, you know, that's, that's how the connection goes, is that he's been funneling money into the Democratic Party for the past two decades. Exactly. And he's, he's kind of the head Hollywood honcho that coordinates all the money. If he himself only donated a couple thousand in a pop, that's one thing, which I believe that's the case. But he didn't give significant amounts. He organized on behalf of Hollywood. He would have the fundraisers at his house. He would have the big dinners at his house. He would have the candidates at his house. They would all bring their friends with them. They would all bring other actors and actresses with them. And, and are you still there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... He is the guy that recorded all this. That fundraising mechanism is now gone for any future Democrat in 2018, 2020. So now Hollywood is running scared. They're going to be a little bit complacent. They're going to be a little bit reticent to donating to a Democrat cause. They used to rely on Harvey to get everyone together. He was the social coordinator. He's now gone. And you're not going to see that same level of, of, of interest. And if, another additional fact is that so many people are now coming forward on Hollywood that all of these people are now, they're now, what's the word I'm looking for? They're less likely to publicly announce who they're going to endorse because it's going to be a bad name. So if Ben Affleck throws his name behind Cory Booker, or Liz Warren. Oh yes. Well, you know, Ross. Let me let me step into this, and I think this is something that I've been very vocal about on this podcast, social media. Anybody that wants to listen is that we're we're watching, and this is really historic in politics. It's, it's there's a precedent. It's happened in our history of the United States. 
but we're watching a party crumble, right? Yep. The Democratic Party is the oldest party, uh, institutional party in our country in politics, and it is crumbling. Yep. And I don't think it will be around by the time the next elections come around, you know, national elections in 2020. Or 2020, you'll see, is the destructive year, and 2021 emerges out, you know, two different parties, or maybe even three, as a splinter cell out of that. Right. Or, or it could be something where... Remember when Bill Clinton had a, a pretty successful first term and they ran Bob Dole for the Republicans and you knew Clinton had about a 95% chance of getting reelected. I think that's going to happen with the Democrat Party. 2018 is going to be a bloodbath for all the senators and congressional races. Uh, and then 2020 is going to come around. I think Trump gets upwards of 320 electoral votes because they don't have anybody. I mean, Mark Cuban announced last week that he's going to run as likely a Republican because the liberals have nobody other than Bloomberg and Cory Booker and Liz Warren who are all going to get their asses kicked. Um, you know, so even guys like Cuban, who I wouldn't necessarily rule out voting for if Trump goes sideways, but Cuban is a, is a libertarian guy. He's more Republican than Democrat. Um, the left has nobody, nobody coming up in the ranks because it's all Hillary, it's Bernie, Bernie's well, not going to run. Yes, they, have, they have no one coming up, right? They don't. Or they they may, right? They have those young guys like Booker, you know, and maybe a few other names, but they have those players that I you know. Real, I really, I feel like I'm, I'm being killed, but uh, it's, it's my time. I got it stolen from me, so I, you know, I can't go away. Right. Even though people from her side are going, go away. Right. Right. And that's a problem because you know we talked about this, and let's break it down, right? Because I think that you have. Uh, two or three factions going. You have the Bernie and the Bernie bros and his supporters. They're ultra angry. They're angry from last time, right? Yep. Like, well, you know, part of our, I think, being in the center, you know, the center, you know, left and right and something for us, both you and I, I yep. think that's one thing that we look at the Bernie crew and go, what, how are you guys voting with the Democrats? Like, they screwed you. Right. <laughs> you know? They, right. they, they screwed you as hard as they've been, you know, railing at Trump. Bernie was first, you know, it right. was worse. The fact that they did that to your own party, they did that in America, which to me, you want to talk about influencing an election, how about fucking stealing it from an American? Exactly, exactly. Forget about a, forget about a Russian, uh, you know, Pokemon Go game with a bunch of Russians spending money on, you know what I mean? Like, it's such nonsense. How about cheating an American named Bernie Sanders, whether you agree with his views or not, about getting elected to his party's nomination. Exactly. And I... And I Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and, and I would say Trump supporters come to the Bernie supporter out of respect and say, look, guys, we know you got chump. We know you got tricked by Hillary Clinton. We know Hillary Clinton threatened Bernie, which is why he looked like the biggest cuck at the DNC. I think, I think, and, and not to not to generalize supporters because I don't like doing that because I don't like seeing Trump supporters labeled racist, deplorable, stupid people. But I mean, I think the Bernie supporter is ten times more woke than a resistance Hillary supporter. Uh, so there needs to be some type of recruitment from the Trump deplorable side that says, "Hey, Bernie supporter, unless Bernie's running, you're not going to get an advocate, right?" Right. That's right. So, you know, where do they go? Do they stay home like they did in 2016? Do they vote for a Jill Stein? Do they go for the more liber you know, the liberal or the libertarian? I don't know where they're going to go, but as as we're going to talk about later in the episode, if things play out the way we think they're going to play out, these Bernie supporters are not going to be voting Democrat, and if they don't vote Trump, so be it. 
but they're going to be so pissed off. Stain. Yeah, and that's you know to finish my just finish my point tying together. I I to your I don't think that they're I don't think they'll do what they did last time, right? Like I think that they were burnt this past time. You know, they said okay, we got to come together under a common enemy of Donald Trump, but I don't think that'll be good enough this time. No. I, I think that. You know, uh, you're going to see a serious rift uh, in this party in this election, right? Starting with the midterms, and we've already seen it, right? We saw it with uh, the DNC, you know, finding their new chair. And was it going to be a Bernie supporter side, or was it going to be more of a you know establishment, you know, neocon Hillary side? Right. And it, it ended up being the Hillary side. Right. Um, uh, in, in Bernie side left out, even though he's the more populous one. What wins elections? Populous, right? right. Uh, who's more popular? As we found out, so yeah, you know, you have your Bernie faction. You're going to have your Hillary faction. You're, you know, which I think you're going to see a lot of women, uh, you know, kind of grouped to that. The pussy hats. They're going to be rallying around that. You know, you know, she should have been president this entire time so we're gonna get her in this time yep um, yep and that's gonna be completely disruptive to that party you know just those two factions breaking out you know and fighting amongst each other you know i think trump's gonna sit, sit back and watch and just think it's gonna be fascinating right exactly exactly so it's very fun to watch um you know steve you and i kind of agree 2020 trump's gonna win he's gonna run the table and he's gonna win by more than he did versus hillary um, the left doesn't want to admit it, but I don't. Doesn't really matter what they think because they've been wrong about everything. So you know that's what I think. That's kind of what the tea leaves are showing. Twenty eighteen is going to be a bloodbath. You're going to see senators get picked up. You saw Jeff Flake step down. You saw Bob Corker step down. Orrin Hatch is retiring. Mitt Romney's going to run for his seat. Um, every Trump is cutting through D.C. Uh, like a knife through butter. And it's going a lot faster than I thought it was going to go. He's chasing out all of the establishment loser Republicans. And he's remaking the party in his pro-America image. For better or worse, he's chasing out all the loser stiffs that former Republicans like me just could not stand. And it's happening ten times faster than I thought. And it's really amazing to watch this live. I mean, the left, will, the left will rally around Jeff Flake and say, he's showing principles and he's going to take on Trump because he doesn't believe, blah, blah, blah. And you'll get this, this, fake, this fake enthusiasm, this fake admiration for Jeff Flake. Jeff Flake was, in Arizona was going to lose by 20 points in the primary. That's why he's stepping down. That's why he's not seeking re-election. It's not because he's principled. It's not because he has better ideas than Trump. It's because he's losing by 20 percentage points to his primary opponent. Yeah, also, and he's, and he's part of the establishment, and that's what the establishment does, is they're rallying around their base and they're coming after. Because remember, this isn't a left versus right thing, right? This is a national nationalist versus globalist thing. Correct. That's what this is. we got to keep, keep the things focused for everybody. Exactly. And this, the same thing goes for the Democrat side. If you run an establishment candidate, a, you're going to probably lose to a MAGA candidate on the right, but if for some reason you're in the running and you have a MAGA-leaning Democrat versus an establishment Democrat or a progressive Democrat, the MAGA-leaning Democrat's going to win. Uh, and that's going to, that's going to change the game. We always talk about changing Congress from the bottom up, and if every time there's a candidate that is establishment versus a candidate that is outsider, that is pro-America, whether Democrat or Republican, if the pro-America candidate wins, 
you're now setting Congress up to be remade in an image that is pro-America. So all these Chamber of Commerce Republicans and all these uh, establishment Democrats that are all for big money and big regulations, if those people are being chased out, you're only left with quality candidates. So now you'll start to see a Congress that wants more uh, action items, that wants more pro-America legislation. And if you have pro-America Democrats going against pro-America Republicans, it's a healthy dynamic that I can get behind. I can be happy. I can take a, a pro-America Democrat over a pro-America Republican if the legislation is sound. But if you chase the asshole establishment away, you're going to have a lot more better options as a voter going right. forward. And the uniparty kind of blends into one. And it's something I can actually technically get behind if they're doing it. If we get enough candidates that are pro-America, they just have a D or an R against their name. You know, but if the establishment type is gone, the ones with a 10% approval rating, we're all better off because of it. You know what's fascinating, too, is that you, you mentioned, you know, pro, pro-America, pro um, MAGA candidates. Yep. And I think what's really fascinating, and this is kind of like Austin, you know, I, you hear this a lot from Paul Joseph Watson, and in that side is that, Ross, like, we're the new counterculture. We're living in a time in America where, you know, some sort of conservatism, uh, which, like, you know, I've never really thought I have, but it's just like anything, right? That old adage, you know, as you get older, you know, you know there's actually a phrase for it, right? If you're. Yep. Yeah, I forget, I'm going to put you the. It, what is it? It's, it's if you're Republican, if you're young and you're a. Uh, what is it? If you're young and you're Democrat. Oh, you're going to butcher it too. Go ahead. I'm going to fuck it up too. I'm two glasses of wine deep. If you're young and you're Democrat, you have no heart. If you're old and Republican, you have no brain. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. I heard it in eighth grade for the first time. It's been 22 years, so... Yeah, but so, you know, it's, it's, it's really fascinating how, you know, conservatism, uh, you know, in, in being proud of your country, right? I love the United States. I'm going to wear an a, a American flag hat, an American flag shirt. Uh, that's like counterculture. Right. Right, and think of that. What the fuck? Think of what I just said. Uh, I mean, we're we're only we're only um, you know sixteen years removed from nine eleven. Yeah. Right? Where I mean, that's that's what it was. If you weren't flying an American flag or you know saying those things, you were a fucking you were a communist. Right. You know, now it's cool to be a communist. Now it's cool, years. exactly. It's crazy, right? Well, I mean, the left is making to be a communist. It's really right. not cool to be a communist. As you right. Know. And to be fair, to be fair, the right back then made it uncool to be anti-war. Right? That's right. That's and right. I remember, and I've said yeah, this before. Together. And that's, you know, it's fascinating. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things in the tactics of the left right now is to demonize uh, having pride in your country, right? Nationalist. Yep. I'm a nationalist. Me I too. Loud, I say it proud. I right. love this fucking country. I think right. it's the greatest place that has ever existed. And I'll say that on the podcast, and I'll say that in public. And I think that that's a, that, that is somewhat controversial right now. Yeah, it is, in, of course. In the mainstream, right? In the mainstream media side, right? The, the bubble that they're creating. And I, right. and I think that that's crazy. Right. I'm proud to say that I will fly the face of adversity, and I will be the one who is proud to be a nationalist and American. And that and that's like a racial slur now, right? So if you want strong borders, you want bite. Yeah, 
yeah, they're demonizing that and they're making it about racial. But think of what I just said, right? Because nothing in there, what I said, had anything to do with being white. No, it's a nas- nationalism. Is a it's a it's a country specific nationalism. You want you want strong borders. You want bilateral trade, not this multilateral trade where there's 27 countries and United States gets the short end of the stick, and no one else has to live to the same standards that the U.S. has, and all this other stuff, and unfavorable FX rates and unfavorable. And this is a hardline stance, right? And, and here's like, let's get controversial. Are you ready to get controversial on this podcast? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Minute thirty. Okay. Here's the real deal. I'm gonna say it. And this is so libertarian, isn't it? I really don't give a shit at all what you do, let's say, over in the Middle East, right? Um, a lot of that culture, um, you know, the Islam culture, and what they do, and what they, and how they treat their women. No way am I going to come over there to your culture. I think it's disrespectful. And as you're hitting your woman and telling her, that's not right, go back to your place, woman. I may mm-hmm. think in my head that I don't agree with that, right? But I'm not going to go and tell you in a place that's not mine or that I support or I live that that's wrong. I may think it, but I'm not going to go and say it outwardly or do any towards the actions to, to change that, right? Right, exactly. But reverse, you come to this country, right? Yeah. The reverse, it's clear. That's really clear. Don't come and fucking bring your weird culture uh, here, especially when it comes to, like, the women and misogyny and all that, for example. But the big thing of why I brought that up is the economic funding of anything to do with that, right? And that's where that trade shit... You guys want to have that culture. You want to oppress women. Fucking fantastic, like I said. But the last thing that I'm going to do is also... Second to the last thing, I'm not going to go over and tell you what to do or tell you what not to, but I'm also not going to fucking trade with you or support you economically. Right, exactly. I'm not going to perpetuate your culture economically, and that's what I think a big part of that globalism does. That's what a big part of, you know, uh, what Clinton and the globalists started. Right. Because it's the same thing I'm using the Middle East and their culture, but it's the same thing with fucking China and those weirdos too. Right, right. And, and you know what? Honestly, Bush didn't change, Clinton didn't change, Obama didn't change. Really, the last four presidents had a similar posture and policy with regard to global trade. It was, we don't care if America doesn't really benefit from it. If we can make the world like us more through trade and on the sweat and, and toil of the American worker, that's all that matters. And, and you and I, Steve, are waking up and saying, fuck you. We haven't had 3% GDP growth in nine years. Even during the Bush years, the job growth was paltry. We've you, sold this country out. We've we sold have. this country out in these values, and people take it for granted, and they take for granted that other people around the world think like them. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just like, again, going back to what I was saying, I think a lot of people that, you know, that we grew up with, Ross, like I use that as an example, like they, they, they typically think more uh, uh, liberally, right? Yep. Uh, not only economically, but also socially, too. And, you know, they fight for these things. Like, it's, it's just such a weird conundrum, right? Because they fight for, like, these freedoms and these things for these people. But I think if they actually went over there and met these people in their culture and saw some of the things that they actually did and perpetrated, they would be fucking mortified. Of course. And, 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 and it, but it's like, 
it's like a weird disconnect because it's like it's not like that. It's, it's like Hollywood, right? Well, it's not like that information is not out there, right? It's not like you can't see that Islam is very brutal on its women. Of course, and they throw gays off of building tops. Yeah, yeah yes. It's, it's, and so when you see these pussy hat marches and it's I stand for Islam and you know, it's just like what is going on? This this new liberalism movement. It's, right. You know, it's fascism, right? Going right. Back to the, the Ronald Reagan, you know, liberalism, the new liberalism is going to be ushered in, but what that's really going to be is fascism, and they're going to call it liberalism. And exactly. that's exactly what we're living in today. Exactly. Exactly. But they, but they have, they're the resistance, they're the ones that will scream the loudest. Um, but I will say, I mean, and as we see as it's played out in the first year of the Trump presidency, and there's a quote that I read that was very, very uh, poignant for me, that when, when, and I, as a Catholic, I'm a big follower of, you know, exorcisms, when someone's possessed by a demon. Hear me out. Well, you sure are a big follower. Hear me out. Hear me out. Um, when the demon is about to be exorcised, they make the oh, moist... When the demon's about to be exorcised! When the demon's about to be exorcised, I do declare, um, it makes the most noise. The body starts to flop around and all this other shit, spit acid and whatnot. Once the demon is fully exercised, it makes the most noise. That's true, that's true. So what you're going to see is the next couple of years, the Democrat Party is just going to flop around like a, a seizure, like a mental patient, um, and they're going to scream the loudest. We just saw today that, you know, Halloween is now being canceled in some towns. Uh, we see that corn pops are racist because the, the janitor in the picture is a little darker corn pop than the other corn pops. I thought he was just toasted more. That's all. I get. I like. You know how have you ever had corn pops and you get like the one or two that were toasted a little darker than the yeah. other ones? Yeah. Yeah. That's all. But the darker the berry, the sweeter the juice, right? Christ. But I don't know. But that's a big deal to them. So like so so all that stuff. They're screaming the loudest before the exorcism is complete. And I think Trump is going to exorcise the demons in 2020. He's going to get probably 320, 330 electoral votes. Um, so that'll be that'll be amusing to watch, to say the least. You know what I think is fascinating as I'm just sitting here thinking of this. You know, I, I you know I don't believe in God. I don't. It's just fucking silly. But you know, I I do believe in energy, higher energy, things that we can't comprehend with our brains at this place and time and phase or whatever. Um, wait a minute, where was I going with that? <laughs> so you were really deep. <laughs> you were going somewhere. Yeah, where, Ross, where was I going? Where you were going to accept that? Christ as your personal savior, I think. Oh, Jesus, we must be really good that I got over here. Anyways. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll think of that and I'll come back. Yeah, please do. Oh, there it is. Came right back. Okay. As I was about to grind up this little piece of weed. So... What I find is fascinating is, you know, I, I don't believe in the gods and all that. I believe in the energy. And, you know, what I think is fascinating in, in coincidences and things like that, like really fascinate me when you when you run into these things and you have deja vu moments in life and things I think are meant to be, right? I am a believer in that, whatever you call that. And I think it's really fascinating, the timing, the correlation, the energy between JFK passing uh, if you're a student of history, politics, and looking back, and if, again, context, 
if you really do believe and are in the camp that it has never been a left first right thing, it's always been a you know globalist first nationalist, right? Yep. We want sovereign states, sovereign states and nations that have healthy governments and people and cultures that thrive and trade with each other, right? Yeah. But that can't be controlled. So that's why they need to disrupt that and they, you know, create all this chaos. And by they, we mean the globalists. And that's where you end up today. Right. Right. So with all that said, and if you do believe it's been a, it's a globalist versus nationalist uh, fight, I think in our country where the United States is that beacon of light, right, in that great fight as the last great you know, autonomous nation with this great constitution, everybody's got guns, we're all fucking crazy. It's the greatest thing for the planet. And the, with that, the last great president, the last great man, even though he wasn't really a great quote-unquote man, he was a womanizer, he was all those things that the fucking left would abhor right now. Right. But John F. Kennedy, he was a great American. He was a great humanist with his brother. He saw that fight that we cite. He saw history and what this country represented to the world, you know, in time. Yep. And he he recognized that, and he recognized and gave us as the people. He was our he was our last president that gave us the last warning from that office, saying there are groups in power here in your government that are subverting this thing, and they are trying to take it down. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And so, what happened to him because of that? He got fucking taken out not too long after that. And I think it's fascinating, and I love. The, the, is it a coincidence that, in my mind, he was our last president, our next president after that came, right, he was in 63, uh, our next one was in 2016, yep. that was Donald Trump. Right, exactly. That much longer, and is it a coincidence that Donald Trump also coincided in that presidency as the one that got to release the files on JFK's murder, which may also underpin and help with, you know, dismantling the deep state slash globalists? I totally agree, because if you... you know what I'm saying? I, 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 wow, I, wow, right? Wow, what timing? Amazing. I, 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 I 100% agree. The reason, So what the left is now saying is, oh... Trump's lying. He's saying he released these. They were already scheduled to be released. You know, stop kidding yourselves. If Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton were in office in 2017 and this, this came across their desk, they would have issued a super redacted five pages or they would have kicked it out another 10, 15, 25 years, right? Right. Trump basically says... I know what you fuckers did at 9-11. I know what you fuckers did for JFK. It's all a CIA deep state operation. And I'm going to expose you fuckers once and for yes. all. Yes. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. And he's doubled down on it since Friday. You know, a lot of people were pissed. They said, hey, wait a minute. Why, why was some of this pushed off until April? Trump responded and said, it will all get released. Don't worry. Now, whether or not it gets heavily redacted doesn't matter. The reasons that the CIA uses for why it's all redacted and pushed out is because it, it, it gives away some of their methods and it compromises live sources. Well, you know, the methods, they've changed their methods in 50 years. And as far as the sources, they're all dead. You're getting deathbed confessions now. So these people are all either dead 
or the methods of change 10 times over. So there's no real reason to keep these excuses alive. Personally speaking, I know the CIA was involved. I know George Bush Sr. was involved. That's what propelled his push to President of the United States, the director of the CIA, vice president under uh, President Reagan. This dude knows everything. And LBJ was also involved because he knew exactly he was the hired gun of the globalists. JFK got off the leash. All this stuff is going to come out. And, you know, the left doesn't want to see it. The, the, the Never Trump movement doesn't want to see it because they love, they love their neocons. They love their CIA. They love their NSA. They love secretive, uh, you know, pulling the wool over the eyes of Americans. That's what the resistance movement is. That's what the Never Trump Bush types are. That's what the neocons are all about. So if they have everyone fooled. And they've, they've done a great job, those people, at tapping into the, the emotions of all of these uh, these lefties. Oh, God, yeah. Totally. Because they know the left hates Trump, so anything Trump does, even if it's helpful to the cause, um, doesn't matter. They'd rather have the deep state cover up. If you're still thinking, you know, after 25 years, after 54 years since the actual assassination, that the CIA had nothing to do with it. I mean, you saw some of the releases the other day. They said that they, you know, there, there's communications with J. Edgar Hoover saying, we need to make the public believe that, uh, you know, uh, there was, Lee Harvey Oswald was the only shooter, that he's the culprit. We need to, you know, they found, they found the bullets he used were only issued by CIA. Um, the, one of the police officers there is now expected to have an, a, a bigger role in shooting Kennedy. May have actually been the actual assassin. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist with JFK. Not because I don't believe there's conspiracy, but because I just haven't studied it. I haven't looked at it. But I, you know, I'm a big studier, so I'm, uh, I'm very well versed on the subject. Okay, so you know, what are your takes? Well, my, since, since I've studied it, I mean, I've been fascinated since I was a little kid. Uh, I don't know why, but, um, I, you know, I always kind of had the hunch. And then as I got older and started being able to put this information together that they don't teach you right by learning on my own, is that um, there are a couple things, right? And we also see this at play in foreign, uh, in, the, in the foreign relations as well. So John F. Kennedy, one of the couple things that he wanted to do was dismantle not only the CIA, but he proposed to dismantle the Federal Reserve. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and in the United States, the Federal Reserve banking system, um, and very similarly, in the last, let's say, decade, uh, we have two instances of, uh, you know, over in Africa, the Middle East, one with Gaddafi, who proposed uh, a gold dinar. Uh, that was Africa-backed, and he was rallying all of Africa, you know, to because they have all this oil, they have all these minerals. Uh, well, let's let's become autonomous. Let's get sovereignty, right? How do you do that? You control your own economy, your own dollar. So that's what he floated out there. Uh, you know, uh, a year later, he's dead, right? And right. Hillary, you got Hillary backed by the United States, the CIA, Hillary Clinton, and her cartel, and her on camera going, we came, we saw, he died. Right. <laughs> right. It's fucking insane, dude. Right. And then, 
you know, and before that, we had an instance of somebody named Saddam Hussein, right. who also had been working with the United States uh, in their efforts against Iran coming out of 79 and that takeover, right, where we lost, quote unquote, we as the United States lost our leader that we had put in place in Iran, right, who were the most progressive Muslims at that point. Uh, before we became then friends with the Sauds, right? And we had to really get that relationship cooking with Bush and his whole cartel. Right. Um, yeah, why did we get started talking about this? We're, we're talking about the power Trump has to, to break this whole deep state thing. Yes, oh, well, so, well, going, so, uh, uh, same thing. Uh, in, you know, what's his name? Uh, in Iraq, he proposed... Uh, in the Middle East, that they get off the United States dollar, right? The petrodollar, because yep. Iraq and all of those places have tons of oil, and he was proposing that they start trading in other currency besides the U.S. petrodollar, Correct. right? And then all of a sudden, within a year, uh, that's toppled, and it's it's game over, Saddam Hussein. Right, exactly. Right? So, you know, you th this, this has been played out many times before in other places. It's not, it's just, a, it's not a coincidence that it also happened in our country, it's just more shocking. Correct. Uh, but these are, you know, this is our leader, JFK, who, were, who was, you know, warning us again, the people, about here are these rogue factions that are, uh, have taken over your government, are doing these things across the globe in your name. Right. Right? And I'm here to warn you guys. Right. And it's also, you know, it, it makes me wonder, I mean, remember, before JFK even came in, Dwight Eisenhower completed eight years, and he was more of an establishment guy, but he had one foot still in the pro-America camp, Eisenhower infamously said, beware, and I'm paraphrasing here, beware the military-industrial complex, right? Yes, well, he was a part of it, right, right. He was a part of it. He knew the inner workings and all too well what it, what it, had, what it had become and where it was going and growing into. Right. Right. So, so you had back-to-back -back presidents that were actually warning United States citizens about different aspects, different silos of government. You had Eisenhower warning about the military, which needs to always have perpetual war, right? And you have, you have Kennedy warning about CIA. And Kennedy threatened to splinter CIA in 45 different directions. And they do not like that. Remember with Trump. Trump went after the CIA, went after Deep State. And Charles Schumer, Schmutz Schumer, a couple days later said... You know, the, the deep state can cut you six ways to Sunday. They can get you in many different ways. And all this stuff started to happen. So, you know, you know, make no mistake, there's a deep state that really is powerful, that dictates to presidents what their policy should be, it, whether it's the seventh floor of the State Department, whether it's NSA, whether it's the CIA overthrowing governments abroad, uh, you know, whether it's FBI compromising people in your administration, there is a way for the shadow government to keep its power over puppet presidents. Trump is basically giving a double middle finger saying, fuck you, I represent the people. Whether they don't like that or not, whether they do like it or not, doesn't matter. It's the truth. Trump's the first president since maybe Reagan or Kennedy saying, fuck you, fuck you deep state, fuck you military industrial complex. I don't want to do your stupid wars. I don't want to do your stupid surveillance. I want to be pro-America. I want us to grow between three and four percent. And that's it. That's all. And that's it. I mean, we have our we have a president back. That's the most important thing. Right. And you know, it's, 
it's also very important to highlight, right? So we're talking about it with Kennedy, the, the deep state side, the CIA side. There's also the mafia connection, right? Maybe that was uh, ultimately, you know, again, going back to this weird energy type thing and foreshadowing and all that, you know, maybe that foreshadowed, you know, his end, his ultimate end, because, you know, if anybody you know the history, uh, his father and his family, they made their money during Prohibition, and his father was a uh, an alcohol runner uh, right. during Prohibition. Right. Um, and that's how he made all his money, and that's how he got his connections, uh, you know, into uh, into politics. You know, funneling that 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 alcohol and that illegal prohibition money into politics. Um, and he actually got credit, Joe Kennedy, for getting his son elected. And they attribute him getting elected. One of the things uh, John elected uh, was the the mafia. A hundred percent. Scare tactics, uh, uh, you know, other other uh, money funneling into different places, all because of Joe pulling those strings. And, it, you know, if you remember back, going back, we were, as a country, very much bigoted against Catholics. Yep. Right. So the fact that John Kennedy was from a good Catholic background, that was scary to a lot of Americans, uh, because if you remember... What they believed in America, and this is more I would believe this shit too, is that, you know, we in America do not want to hire a CEO who takes directions from a pope who's over in a different country. Right. Right? And that was a real scare in America. Right. Um, And so, you know, the, the mafia, without the mafia, John F. Kennedy never gets elected. So now he's elected, uh, you know, as you know. You don't get elected by the mafia uh, and help from the mafia without being tied into them probably forever for the rest of your life and doing favors. Right. Right? And that brings in the second part of that because that doesn't just include a person. That also includes a government. And uh, our government, the U.S. government, we got in bed with the mafia in World War II. And a lot of people don't know this because they don't teach this part in the history books that you read in school. You have to actually go out and learn this. But so when we were planning our invasion and we finally decided after Pearl Harbor to go to war, um, we were laying out plans uh, on the two-side strategy, right? One side was going in uh, to the Pacific, which we did. And the other side was going in and landing on D-Day, right, in, like, uh, in Europe. And, and that side is so a two fronts of the war. And one of the ways uh, or the way that the United States uh, landed in Europe was, for, was in Sicily, on the beaches and island of Sicily. And at that time, we had to do a deal with, the, at that point, the United States mafia who had been organized after Prohibition. Right. See how this all connects. Yeah. So people like Kennedy, who now have money out of prohibition and are funding politicians, the politicians in Washington are now turning to their new fund, you know, mates and saying, hey, it's the devil, you know, well, we need help. So the mafia then helps the United States government get into Europe. Well, again, you don't think you come out on the other side without owing favors, do you? Of course not. Right. So you have these two things where the mafia gets them elected. They also get, you know, they also have that tie into the government going all the way back to World War II. Well, now flash forward to 63, you have President Kennedy, just as you already and we pointed out, talking about dismantling uh, the deep state, the CIA, splintering it into all those factions. 
talking about <clears throat> dismantling the Fed, and also having his brother, the Attorney General Bobby, going after the mafia, right. the same people that got him elected, right? Right. And 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 all of those three major forces. I mean, those may be the three worst forces that you could turn off, right? Institutions in the United States, and those brothers turned them off at the same time, right? Exactly. And but, so that's how you got what you got. That's how you got a combined CIA, probably FBI, you know, factions in our government with help from the mafia uh, coming together to do uh, that. Oh, and also let's tie in this other part. The, the, the other tied in mafia part was to JFK that we can't forget was the Bay of Pigs and the whole Cuba invasion or lack of it. Right. Right. So. We were supposed to go and we, you know, the CIA, they created and built this force uh, and, and, and also started working with this rebel mercenary force from Cuba that wanted to overthrow Castro. So we were funding them. We were training them. We had this plan to go in. And this is where George Bush Sr. was also involved. Did you know that? He ran a plantation, like a fruit plantation down in Florida. Did he really? Yeah, George Bush Sr. Um, working for the CIA at that point. And, uh, you know, when John F. Kennedy called off that invasion, all of those uh, forces that they trained from Cuba died. They were all slaughtered, and it made the CIA look horrible. And if you don't remember, remember, people, everything mostly, if not always, comes back to money as well. Yep. So for people not familiar, in the 20s and 30s, before war, in the 20s and 30s, and leading up to you know what happened in the Bay of Pigs in the in the, in the revolution and all that in Cuba, essentially Cuba was Las Vegas for America and for all of those gangsters and all of their money through prohibition, right? So they were going just shooting over to from Florida over to Cuba, and they had their casinos, they had this beautiful weather, they had everything going, and that was you know a big reason why you know. Uh, Castro overthrew, kicked all the gangsters out of Cuba, and that's how you also had the gangsters and uh, the mafia involved with the government and the CIA in the whole Cuba thing. Right. right. So all of these things combined, you had a lot of really pissed off mafia at John F. Kennedy. Right. For a lot of reasons, like really major reasons. Right. Whereas the, I, I thought the mafia wanted Cuba back. They wanted Cuba back because it was a big play. They lost all their casinos. I'm sure they lost millions of dollars. Correct. Uh, when when Castro overthrew that government and took over. Right, and and remember, remember Operation Northwoods, which was the declassified document that Kennedy shot down, which was to call for a false flag attack. They were going to have a bunch of college kids fly out to Cuba or over the airspace. And then the CIA or someone was going to shoot down the plane, blame it on Cuba as a means to invade. Kennedy said, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm not doing a false flag. You know, this is how the C... They put that playbook away and they used it in the Gulf of Tonkin for Vietnam about uh, 20 years later. Correct. I mean, yeah, yeah, less than 10 years later. But this is exactly how they operate. Operation Northwoods, folks that are listening... This is the declassified file. Look it up. Type it into Google. You will get an actual document that shows ideas for how the U.S. can make a false flag attack and blame it on any country they want. So it's it's pretty sick, actually. 
So yeah, so I mean, I mean, I think it's it's good we spent a lot of time on the Kennedy thing because I think that that's what you're going to come out. You're going to find you're going to you're going to find these documents that if they're not redacted, you're going to find out a lot of the stuff that we just talked about, right? Which is right. why we just got that down because you're going to find a lot of mafia, you're going to find a lot of CIA and FBI connections. And I think the last piece which scares it is it also ties into the highest office, which is Lyndon Johnson, who took over the presidency right. because he was a very good old Texas boy. Yep. And it happened right in his state. So if you don't think that motherfucker had something to do with it, you're out of your mind. Yep. And also, I mean, it just, it just broke as part of the, sto- uh, the, the, the leaks. Not the leaks, I'm sorry, the release. There are, there are allegations that LBJ was a member of the KKK. That came out in the, in, the, in the release. So it's something that folks can dig up on. I mean, again, it, it depends on what context you look at everything. But there are papers, there's paperwork. That's why they're protecting it, because former presidents are <laughs> members of KKK. LBJ infamously said, if I do, if I do, I forget, and I don't want to butcher the quote, but I will, I will not butcher the end part of it. He said, if I can get this legislation passed, I will have the blanks voting Democrat for 200 years. Fill in the blank with the, what the word blank is. Niggers. Uh, uh, say niggers. You're a grown adult. You're allowed to say the word. Um, should I edit that part out or keep it? No. If you're a friggin' cop, you would. Cut it out. Uh, that'll be on you. <laughs> that'll be on you. Uh, so, so that, yeah, so yeah, that's what LBJ actually said. Um, but the left well, worships it. stuff is really important, right? Because if you if you can identify this, and I really wish people, you know, whether you agree with it or not, you should know this version of people's history because there are people out there that do think this stuff yep. uh, and do believe that. And, and I think that this was a really, obviously this is a horrible turn for America, right? Because think of that, right? Think of, think of right as BLM, Black Lives Matters, and all the recent stuff that's happening with the protests and all this. It's total, in my mind, misguided anger and energy uh and that's why i feel it's so sad because i feel like you know if if the black community has been demonized over you know many decades in the past decades we know they've been through slavery but just talking about you know the past you know 50 years in civil rights i think it was the the biggest you know, plot, like the worst plot was from the, the, the Democrats, right? Which was what we're talking about. This was the Democrats that did this. Exactly. It was, you know, we're going to enslave the mind. Uh, this is the way that we're going to enslave them. We're going to make them feel like they uh, they don't have a step up. We're going to make them feel like there are people coming after them, uh, that they're not good enough. And that's what, it, that's what the Democrat Party is. That's what liberals are. Liberals want to make every excuse for everybody and why they can't do something. Right. It's exactly. Horrible. Exactly. And I feel like that's like that we have a word that's called enabling. Right. Right. You go from you know when do you go from you know sympathizing and being a sympathizer, which is positive, and you know into being an enabler, which is negative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I I, I totally agree. I totally agree, and that's kind of where it's all going. So I mean, this is. I know this is a high-level view of the JFK piece of it, but this is, you know, if you actually read your history books, this is what happens. This is what you learn, that we weren't taught in high school um, how this stuff works. So um, before we go down a rat hole, we're about an hour into the episode. Do we want to cover what we think is going to happen this week as there's rumors of a Mueller indictment coming? 
Do you want- oh yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Yeah, so let's make some predictions. You ready? You go first. Yeah, so here's my prediction. I think you're going to be right right there with me. I think everybody that is in the know is guessing that it's going to be Manafort, right? Paul Manafort, who has really close ties to, uh, you know, Stone, Roger Stone Jr., Donald Trump. Yep. We think that he is going to be the one that they bring indictments to. Correct. But this is what I get excited about because I have a little insight into what the law is and how things work. It could be the gift and the curse for the Democrats, right? Because if if and when they indict uh, they indict Manafort and bring him in, he is now going to be protected by the United States government in anything and everything he says. Right. That's also going to be including uh, information on different dealings that he had while he was working for the Podesta Group. Bingo! Right? And he now is going to be protected by Trump's government and Trump's attorney general. Okay? So what's going to happen is even if there's anything on Trump, even if there's anything on Trump whatsoever that could be used by Mueller or the left that could even be put on grounds for impeachment, or even if it's not, but it's bad optics and they could call for it, Guess what good old Trumpy boy can do for Mr. Manafort? He's going to pardon him. He is going to pardon him, and it is what but after he gives them what they need for the Podesta Clinton Obama stuff. Right. And then he's gonna get the pardon and it's gonna it's gonna just be like a game of dominoes, because that's gonna send the left just fucking spiraling. Like, right. the worst acid trip that you've ever seen in your entire life, probably. Right. And actually, Steve, we, you and I didn't talk about where we side on this, what we think is going to happen, but I think you're exactly right. And that was the independent analysis I came up with as well. So what's going to happen is this, folks. You're going to see Monday morning or sometime early this week, you're going to get the news that Moeller is going to be indicting Paul Manafort. Remember, there was there was that raid on his house uh, at the and sometime in the summer. Um, Manafort has been a private consultant for national sovereign nations for about ten years. Uh, he worked with Ukraine. He set up a shell account with Ukraine, and in that process, in 2012 and 2013, there are about 13 wire transfers that are under review before Trump even knew he was running for president. So the whole collusion angle is out of the picture. We now go into money laundering. So the charges on Manafort will be related to money laundering. And what Mueller's investigation is going to do is grant him some type of immunity to then talk about, well, what kind of transactions were you making and with who? Well, it turns out that whatever shell company he had for the Ukraine was a huge company, was a huge client, rather, for the Podesta Group. That was trying to peddle influence with Russia. Because because right around the time of 2011-2012 was the big failed Russia reset between Clinton and Obama. And Hillary Clinton needed a big victory because her tenure as Secretary of State was an unmitigated disaster. It was an abortion. Um, And what she needed to do was get things back on a, a proper footing with Russia. And through the Clinton Foundation, this is where it gets interesting. It gets interesting because we start talking about Uranium One. 
This is a segue to Uranium One. The Uranium One deal where 20% of our uranium was sold to the Russians. And you can go on PolitiFact and Snopes and they'll they'll kind of mince words and spin it to make it look like they didn't do anything on untoward or illegal. Um, but in essence, what they've done was they, in order for Russia to give $145 million to the Clinton Foundation shortly thereafter and to double Bill Clinton's speaking fees from 250 to 500K right after this deal got announced, uh, they wanted to you know grease the skids for the ability to have Russia donate in exchange for 20% of the uranium supply. Well, that sounds super illegal. It sounds really crazy and illegal. But guess what else? who else was involved with that negotiation? Guess who personally delivered the first sample and round of Uranium One to Russia? Here's a hint. He's the special... Here's the hint. He's the special prosecutor. Robert Mueller, former FBI director. So, knowing this, that Uranium One is the scandal that's going to break up everything, Bob Mueller, it was known from day one by Trump. Trump met with him the day before he became the special investigator. Uh, I don't know what words were exchanged. I don't know what was agreed. But anything that Bob Mueller does is going to be under the microscope. You wonder why Trump hasn't fired him yet. Because I believe... Uh, that sometime in the summer, Moeller flipped. It became very clear that Moeller was involved with the Uranium One deal, and he is now compromised. Therefore, Trump has him by the ball sack. And the idea was, look, Moeller, you can have your investigation all you want. I know for a fact that Trump, his children, Kushner, Bannon, everyone except Manafort is 100% safe from Russia collusion. Paul Manafort was strictly brought into the campaign to win delegates during the spring months, the second quarter, so that they could lock up the nomination uh, at the July RNC. That's the only reason Manafort was brought in. He was let go shortly thereafter because he thought the Ukraine stuff, the consulting, was going to be a distraction. Trump knew that. Manafort knew that. So he stepped away after the nomination was locked up. There is no collusion whatsoever. What Manafort is being investigated on is wire, uh, I'm sorry, wires and money laundering. And in so doing, he's going to implicate the Podesta group. And then it links to Hillary Clinton. It links to John Podesta. And then we, we, we now get full circle to the dossier from Fusion GPS. Because this week, there's two things in play that are very big. There's, on the Uranium One front, there is the FBI informant that was hired and was working all along with the FBI to track all activity, all money movements related to Uranium One deal with Russia. So that person is speaking this week. Trump has had the, the gag order lifted, um, and the, 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 big, the big testimony from the, 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 uh, the paid informant is this week. On an unrelated note, but perhaps related, is this infamous dossier that Steve and I talked about two months ago, exactly what you're seeing now unfold. The dossier was a made-up fan fiction written by Fusion GPS, which is a disinformation uh, intelligence company. It implicates John McCain. It impl implicates uh, Evan McMullen, who ran, I think, as a Republican or Libertarian in Utah because he was never Trump. It implicates 
Marco Rubio, I believe, passed on the dossier. The dossier was teed up uh, during the fall of 2015. It became evident that Trump was going to win the nomination, so Rubio passed on it. Uh, it was originally funded by Paul Singer, who is a never-Trump Republican hedge fund manager, billionaire. Um, didn't he, Ross, didn't he recently in the news just pledge a billion dollars to take down Trump? I believe he did. I believe he did. Um, and what's going to happen is, uh, what ended up happening was in 2015, when it became evident that Trump was going to lock up the nomination, it became evident in the late fourth quarter 2015 that Trump was going to kind of run the table. Uh, so Rubio passed wisely. Jeb Bush floated it, passed uh, and then it got into the hands of the Democrats. It got into the hands of Hillary Clinton and her campaign. Okay, the Democrats and John McCain. Correct. Oh, or one and, same, one and the same. One and the same, right? So John McCain walked into the FBI. FBI said, hey, what's going on with this? Our other wiretap FISA warrant is almost up on Manafort for the first round. Maybe we should renew this. Let's use this, this dossier with Russia as a means to make it look like a national security issue to extend the FISA warrant on Manafort. So when you see Trump talking about, oh, Trump Tower was wiretapped, he's telling the truth because Paul Manafort lived at Trump Tower during the campaign. So literally, Trump Tower was indeed wiretapped, and it was because of this fake, phony, made-up dossier with, with golden showers, and, and people that had the same name as Trump lawyers, but the Trump lawyer was never in Russia, his passport proves it, they used this fake dossier as a mechanism to extend the wiretap warrant on Manafort, and Hillary Clinton foolishly picked it up. They paid about $9 million for the dossier. The way the dossier was written, uh, I believe it was, uh, was it Glenn Sampson or Craig Simpson or something, I forget the guy's name, Basically, much like Charles Dickens was paid by the word, uh, Fusion GPS was paid to keep writing more salacious rumors and gossip in the dossier. So the dossier started off about you know ten pages long when Romney, I'm sorry, when Rubio, George Bush, uh, Jeb Bush saw it. By the time the Clintons got it, they invested nine, ten million dollars into it. They started writing new salacious details about the golden shower, women pissing on each other. Donald Trump is a germaphobe. You know what would be fantastic? What? Just like very similarly to how uh, uh, Peter Thiel and Hulk Hogan took down Gawker. Yep. Right? Because of some crazy shit. Yep. How fantastic would that be? An unprecedented, another thing that Trump would do would blow people's minds. And I would love it. I don't really give a shit about the presidency in the office like that. If he absolutely sued the pants off of Hillary Clinton and the DNC, like, personally. He could. I'm not, I know. I'm not saying he can't, right? Think about that. I would, I would love it. I would love it. I mean, I mean, that assumes, you know, cuck Bernie Sanders the cuck could have done the same thing, but he didn't because he's a pussy. Right? But now Trump could then come out and say, you know what, you guys, you, you, you worked. And, and mind you, two months, three months after the Donald Trump Jr. thing where uh, he met on the Magnitsky Act, and now they're saying Fusion GPS is linked to that lawyer that was setting him up. I said this same exact angle three months ago. Go back to the tape. 
um, where I said this Magnitsky deal was all a ruse to get Donald Trump Jr. and Paul Manafort and Kushner involved in some type of wiretapped collusion. And it turns out it's been exactly true because the information Steve and I get are actually plugged into the Trump administration. Uh, not that we're like important or anything, but I'm just saying the information that we read, it's not your basic mainstream media. So now the dossier is going to dominate this week. Uh, what they're doing, they've just announced that Fusion GPS will publish the bank records. So now you're going to see every single wire transfer that was made. You're going to see the Clinton administration. Uh, administration. Freudian slip because she's not president. Uh, the, nor, never will be. nor never will be. She'll be dead of Parkinson's in the next two years. Um, but it turns out that all the bank and wire statements are going to prove that you're going to see the Obama administration, it was released, paid 957000 to Fusion GPS. You're going to see that the Clinton, administ uh, the, Clinton <laughs> the Clinton campaign paid about $9 to $10 million uh, for this dossier. You're going to see the FBI reimbursed bits and pieces of this dossier cost uh, to other parties. So now you have the, the FBI is involving itself with a fake dossier and funding the writing of it and reimbursing reimbursing to other parties uh, based on what was written. This is unprecedented. This is unprecedented, unheard of. There is so much dirt on James Comey. There's so much dirt on Andrew McCabe, who is the interim FBI director while Comey was fired. McCabe's wife uh, was given 600000 from Terry McAuliffe, governor of Virginia, very close to Clinton and Obama. Um, all this stuff. All the swamp is very nervous right now. And I think what's going to happen is either you're going to get some type of recusal from Mueller because he's so corrupted. Or Mueller flipped during the summer and is doing the bidding of Donald Trump. So oh, you, that would be amazing. So my, my guess is there's a 65% chance that Mueller flipped. And that Comey and Mueller are basically play-acting right now. And that, another thing I heard was that Jeff Sessions, that whole public spat that we talked about a month and a half ago, was just a, was just a storyline. It, really, it was really Trump pretending to be at odds with Sessions so that the people would leave Sessions alone. In the meantime, Sessions went and reopened Uranium One, Reopen the dossier, reopen the sanctuary cities, reopen the DNC server scandal. So basically, he got the public to turn on Jeff Sessions or at least become sympathetic to him so the Democrats would leave him alone. Right, and they, it worked. It was brilliant. It, well, we'll see. We'll see if that indeed was the case. Um, as you know, Steve, I'm not a 4D chess guy with Trump. I just think he is a good gut for things. I don't think he's thinking it like 25,000 feet above everybody else. But if this, this ruse goes through, where sometime this week, minutes, hours, days after Manafort gets indicted, Manafort, if he was indicted, would be singing, would be singing like a canary since June. He's probably told everything. Uh, so there's no way in hell the Podesta group is unclean. Uh, there's no way, uh, or, or is clean rather. There's no way in hell that Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the Imran Awan deal with the IT. All that stuff's going to come to light. And Sessions has been 
strategically isolated by Trump so he could do his thing, collect all the evidence he needed, and now the, the, the other shoe is starting to fall. So every Democrat that's listening right now that has an erection or hard nipples because they think Trump is going down with collusion and that Manafort's gonna, and that Manafort's going to get indicted. You pe and this is why I put this on Facebook yesterday. When you assholes just read headlines from BuzzFeed or Washington Post and don't read the actual article, you're doing yourself a disservice because what's going to happen is Manafort will be the first guy announced. And from there, he will bring down both Podestas, and then it's eventually going to lead to Hillary Clinton. So be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you celebrate. Be careful about who you high-five. Because in the end, if Manafort is your guy, you can best believe that it's going to be the biggest um, screw job to the Democrats you've ever seen. And it's going to be a wild couple days. All sources that have plugged in White House uh, positions are saying, watch out, it's going to be Manafort, but the next shoe to fall will be comedically awesome. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be Democrat, Podesta types, Hillary Clinton's inner circle. You're going to see the unmasking allegations and scandals come about. And finally, you're going to see the Seth Rich, the IT scandal all be revealed. So when, when Julian Assange said in 2016, what I'm about to release, if the whole story gets out, it's going to cause the downfall of the Democrat Party. I didn't think that was humanly possible. But then I saw all this stuff happening with the unmasking and the murder of Seth Rich and the DNC IT scandal. Everything's starting to come about exactly how we thought. The dossier, Uranium One. There's five things in motion that Jeff Sessions is working on behind the scenes. I read a tweet before we started taping, Steve, that said, Jeff Sessions, one week from now, will be the most feared man in Washington, D.C. Because of all the stuff he's going to unleash. And everyone fell for the little feud between Trump and Sessions when in actuality, behind the scenes, they were giggling and eating popcorn. And I suspect that Bob Mueller is in the same boat. And on an outer, an outer chance that James Comey is too. He took the fall for the greater good because he didn't want to go to jail for all the shit he did. Mueller doesn't want to go to jail for all the shit he did. So Trump basically said, I'll make a deal with you guys. We won't press charges on your crooked swamp creature-like behavior if you run a fair investigation. So Mueller runs an investigation with 16 Democrat Hillary Clinton donors so that when his final results are released, you can't have the liberals say, hey, this guy was biased. Right, that's right. So just keep that in mind as we go into this week. Um, I really That's why, Steve, I'm glad we got this taping in tonight because we want to set the stage for the week. And if we call it ahead of time, best believe we have credibility in the fight. So, I, I think we kind of hit all sorts of things. Uh, do we want to call it's an hour and twenty in? Do we want to call it? it and let's let's cut it. And let's uh, make sure we jump back on again this week, especially when things heat up. Yep. And another thing, so we're so yeah, Steve. Let's maybe Thursday review where everything's going. And on a side note, new developments in the Hollywood pedophilia stuff. I have producers in mind that I'm going to list on Thursday or whenever we tape again. Um, we have people that are in the crosshairs right now 
Their names are going to be released very soon. Uh, one of one, I read something very fascinating. One of Corey Feldman's alleged molesters or abusers is a very famous actor who killed himself a couple years ago. Don't say it, Steve, but see if anyone listening can guess who that person is and why he killed himself. Ooh, super sketch. Yeah, yeah. So see if anyone can comment privately to us on who that person is because chances are this person was part of a wider ring uh, and Corey Feldman was going to go public. He shared a TV show with this particular actor in the mid-80s. Um, hello! Oops, I spoiled it. Um, anyway, um, I don't work well with the men because I used to be one. Oops, I, I had another spoiler. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so that's that. It's an hour 20. Steve, I'll release this now. So let's, let's get this shit out and let's convene on Thursday if we can to talk about the week's developments. Gia! Alright, see you guys in a couple days. Have a great week. Bye bye. Take care.